Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our study uh, of the Old Testament, um, we're just starting this study. Uh, we finished our New Testament study a couple of months ago. That took us five years. And so we have a track record now. We're going to work through the Old Testament together. It's going to take 15 years, one chapter at a time. That's the idea. So get ready. And uh, I expect to see you all through the entire thing. So uh, you have the next 15 years of Wednesday nights planned out. Uh, it, it'll take us a year to get through Genesis because it's 50 chapters. And um, all of the first, the first four books are pretty long. Then we'll start to cook pretty good through there until we get to the Psalms. And then Psalms is 150 chapters. So if we actually do them one at a time, that's just three years on the Psalms. So we'll see. We might, we might save a little time by doubling up on some of the Psalms. We'll see. There's some real short ones. So, uh, but that we've got years before we even think about that. So anyway, we're in Genesis right now. We're in Genesis chapter 8. And, um, we, you know, you've seen how it all kicked off. Remember, the one thing I tell you to look for, and I, I want to bring this up for a while so you get used to hearing it, is starting in Genesis 3.15, we're following the crimson thread of redemption. And we see how from the fall, the effects of the fall, this, this redemption plan is in effect. And how it will weave its way through the Old Testament. You're seeing it now in the flood. And yet there's, um, you know, there's this, uh, Noah and his family survive it to continue on. They were found as those who, had, uh, who pleased the Lord, even though the whole world had gone south. Um, you know, there was still Noah. And Noah was far from perfect, but um, he was... He was you know, he was one of those people who tried. He listened to God and tried. And, and uh, you know, that's what God really wants from us. We're not going to hit perfect. But um, he wants our hearts to be open to him. And he wants us to be obedient to him. And, um, you know, to understand that it's all about him in the process. And I think Noah's a, a, you know, a good picture of that and what's happening. So remember, at this point in history, the, um, the world has is, is just gotten evil. Um, there's, there's nothing redemptive. God looks and goes, wow, what a mess. You know, we saw sin enter. Uh, and this was, you know, the enemy's plan to ruin everything. And how, how quickly it just, you know, turned everything upside down and, and uh, impacted and in, infected the world. And, and now it's a significant issue. So um, the flood comes. And it, uh, it's going to change everything once again. Um, and we've, we saw the flood last week began. The waters came, and the, uh, we saw the, um, the ark was taken up on the tops of the water, and we looked at why. We believe it was a universal flood, and we looked at all the implications behind that and what the Bible says. And, uh, and so in verse 8, now we're going to see um, the, the waters recede, and the uh, ark is going to come to rest on the land. Um, so the rain lasts 40 days, as we said, but the waters continued to rise for 110 days. Um, and we, we saw, you know, that the water flooded the earth for 150 days. Um, and then uh, something, you know, continued, either lighter rain or the uh, upheaval from underneath something. But the water kept rising for a total of 150 days. And then um, in, in the... What we're going to look at today, we're going to see that the ark uh, comes to rest as the water begins to recede in the mountains of Ararat 150 days after the rains begin. Um, we believe that it's somewhere, um, it's rested in Turkey somewhere, but we don't have a precise location that we're aware of, although there's, there's quite a few um, studies and um, archaeological uh, movements in that part, but at this time and place, the... Um, the people in control of that whole area are resistant to um, 
a lot of sort of archaeological research and discovery going on. They, they, they would most likely rather that we didn't find the ark uh, at this point in time, and so they, they don't make it possible. You know, things change. And I have this, I believe this fully. When, when we're supposed to discover it, if we are to discover it, we will discover it. I have a thought that might be one of the things that, um, that when, before Jesus comes back, um, that, that, he, he, that God might just pop that ark up for everybody to take a look at. And because uh, God's like that, you know, He'll give people a chance. Because you're going to have to really deal with that when they find it. You're, you're not, it's, yeah. Uh, now, the people will also write it off right away because even, you know, they had Jesus in their midst and they, but not everybody. I, so, anyway, um, if you ever do any research, you'll see sometimes they think they find it and they've got pictures of it or they've got people that say they've been in it. But um, we don't have any definitive proof of that yet. Uh, but anyway, it lands somewhere in one of those high peaks. There's a couple of really high peaks there. Uh, it rests uh, in that area. And um, it, he, they were in there for quite a while while the water went down. We'll look at that. Um, and uh, the animals and Noah and his family leave the ark 377 days after they ended, entered it. That's a long time. Some of you think, we think they were in there 40 days. They were in there over a year in the ark. 365 plus 10, 12, 12 days. So it's a lot of time. And uh, we'll see how the ark rested. That's a, that's a theme. Sort of the ark comes to rest. And the dove couldn't find any place to rest its feet, so it comes back uh, and then goes out again. And then uh, ultimately, you know, Noah hears from the Lord that it's time to go out. And they go out, and, and sort of, it's sort of a, a picture when they go out of the world being cleaned and at rest. So all that's kind of weaving its way through there. And as Noah leaves the ark, he makes a sacrifice to God, a pleasing aroma to him, it says. And it demonstrates again that, that God's people are to be a worshiping people. And, um, and, and you know, they, they, they offered God, uh, you know, the best of what they had in that process. So that's kind of uh, an intro. So let's, uh, let's look at Genesis 8. I'll read it all, and then we'll just talk about it briefly as we look through it. Uh, Genesis 8, beginning in verse 1. There's 22 verses. I'm reading out of the NIV. That's what's in the notes. If you have a translation that's different, that's fine. Just read that. All good. Verse 1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heaven had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky. The water receded steadily from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the water had gone down. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. The waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. After 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the ark and sent out a raven. And it kept flying back and forth until the water had dried up from the earth. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground. But the dove could find no place to set his feet because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back into himself in the ark. He waited seven more days and again sent out the dove from the ark. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in, the evening, there in his beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. He waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return to him. By the first day of the first month of Noah's 601st year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. 
By the 27th day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number upon it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the earth came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. Blessed be the word of the Lord. So, here we go. Um, the, the word in remember, the re word remember that's used in Genesis 8-1, doesn't mean that, that God forgot about them, because um, God doesn't forget about anything. He knows the end from the beginning. It means, um, when you read that word, it, it usually means to pay attention to, or to fulfill a promise, or to act on behalf of somebody. And so that's what's God doing in that place when it says God remembered Noah and, the, and all the animals that were on it. And um, so, so now, you know, the flood has had its effect, and um, the world's been cleaned and, and restarted. Um, we know again it reached its peak in 150 days, and so during then for five months after that, he causes the water to recede and to leave the dry land behind. And on the 17th day of the seventh month, the ark rested on a peak, um, as I said, in Ararat, located that's modern Turkey. We don't know which uh, which peak it was, and. Um, Explorers searching for the remains uh, really can't, there's not enough in the Bible to give them a pinpoint. And, and, um, and so they, like I said, they continue to work with satellite imagery and stuff. You never know. Uh, and the, the seventh month that they're talking about there wasn't the seventh, it was the seventh actual month of what they were going through. And the seventh month becomes key uh, in um, the way that Israel celebrates. And a uh, uh, very special month. It's uh, the month that ushers in the new year with the Feast of Trumpets, um, celebrates the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles, the big three. Um, pretty fascinating because um, biblically those three are the ones that we're still waiting on to, be re, um, to happen prophetically. There's seven feasts that Israel celebrates every year, and Jesus has fulfilled the first three prophetically. Uh, Pentecost fulfilled number four prophetically. Five, six, and seven are left. And so um, it's, if you ever go, especially at this time of year, and we think about what took place of the seven feasts, um, so you had Passover, which had to do with the lamb that was sacrificed and the blood over the doorpost and everything. Jesus is, is coming up to that one, right? And, and he's, the, he's the Passover lamb. Behold the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Um, and then you have unleavened bread, which happens the, the next day. His body broken. He said, he said, I'm the bread of life. Remember when he said that? And his body would be broken. Uh, uh, you know, offered on the cross. A and then um, you have uh, early first fruits. Um, which is the resurrection, and um, that, that's, they all happen within that three-day period, and Jesus fulfills them perfectly and prophetically, just the way he was supposed to. These were feasts that Israel had celebrated for, for year after year after year after year. Um, the feasts, when they were given, were, were so that the people of God would get it when Jesus came and did what he did, and some do it, and, but most didn't because they didn't like the package, but he's fulfilling prophetically these feasts that the children of God had been celebrating 
from generation to generation. Jesus fills the first three perfectly. Fifty days later is the fourth of seven feasts, and that's Pentecost. And guess what happens? The Holy Spirit comes, fulfills that perfectly. And, and what begins after Pentecost is a harvest season, and that's what we're in now. We're in, and it's the long harvest. Um, Pentecost was another harvest festival. Early first fruits, that would have been Jesus and the little group that was seen right after the crucifixion. If you look in Matthew, there's a group of people that raised from the dead and they're seen around town. And I don't know how that gets looked over, but it does. Um, and, and so there was a small festival harvest right then. And then 50 days later was a bigger harvest, but not the big one. And that's what Pentecost um, was all about. And we see at Pentecost, you know, prophetically the Holy Spirit coming. And guess what? 3,000 plus are added to the church. Bigger harvest than the first one. And now there's this prophetic season of harvest that we're in. And the next festival that's to be celebrated is trumpets. At trumpet sound, guess when they send it trumpets? When the harvest was over. Trumpet was sounded. All those who were gods went to worship him. If they didn't worship God, they didn't respond to the trumpet. We believe Jesus is coming back at trumpet sound. We're waiting on it. And when he comes, here we go. And so we're in this prophetic season. And the seventh month and all of the stuff that's happening with Noah fits right in there because the last three are trumpets and judgment and tabernacles. Um, and depending on how you view those things, uh, if you were with me, I think we've talked about some of it. Um, my belief would be that something happens at trumpet sound of the church that we're somehow caught up out of this um, because at the cross, he took our judgment, so we get to skip that one, and, uh, which is good. And then tabernacles is when we're here with them forever. So we're in this process prophetically. Um, we're somewhere between the fourth and the fifth feast, and that happens in the seventh month whatever that looks like, and it sort of ties into what happens with Noah and the ark and all that the ark implies in the process. So in effect, if you don't hear anything else that I just said, listen for the trumpet. <laughs> and when you hear it, go. Stop what you're doing. That wasn't much of a trumpet. That was more like a wounded elephant. Okay. So, if you ever want to look at those feasts, Leviticus 23. That's the one chapter of Scripture that every uh, Jewish person knows. Leviticus 23. Because it has all seven feasts. And they can't, they can't miss number six every year. If they miss number six, they get cut off from their people. That's why, you know, uh, Rosh Hashanah. If you're ever aware of Rosh Hashanah, you'll, if you turn on TV or something on Rosh Hashanah, half the people you know on TV won't be on it. Because they're busy. they got to go. For that 24 hours, they take that. They might not do anything else all year, but because Rosh Hashanah is what it is, boop, they stop. They go celebrate that one. So in order to know when Rosh Hashanah hits, you got to be paying attention to the rest of the feasts. you got to know when they come. And there's signs, not only calendar signs, but there's all sorts of amazing um, natural signs that help them, plants and trees and moon phases and everything. It gets them on the right dates and in the right sequence so they don't miss that day. So... Pretty fascinating stuff. Okay. Uh, the Hebrew text says that the ark came to rest uh, in, in that verse uh, that we looked at. And fascinatingly enough, Noah's name actually means rest. And um, his father, Lamech, if you go back and look in Genesis 5, 28 and 29, um, it says that his son, um, he believed that his son or hoped his son would bring rest to a weary world. How about that? So, pretty interesting. Um, the ark had rested safely, um, but Noah, wait, Noah waits for the Lord to tell him what to do. Now, he's gotten pretty good at waiting on the Lord. 
Remember how long it took him. Remember that ark was a long process, right? He built it for 120 years. So maybe in the scheme of things, sitting on the ark for 377 days didn't seem that long after 120 years. But uh, I still think it's a long time. But isn't it fascinating? See, he gathered information. You get that Noah, we don't, that Noah took it perhaps on himself. Maybe God was telling him to do it, but it doesn't say, to find out what was going on because he'd been in the ark for a year. And, you know, I bet everybody's getting a little grumpy. You imagine being that close with your family for a whole year and drunk. <laughs> How big is the ark? You know what I mean? So, uh, anyway, he starts sending out, you know, animals. And um, he sends out the raven first. Uh, but the raven, you know, is, a, is an unclean animal. Um, so it eats. It's a carnivore. It, um, it, had, it didn't come back because there was still probably lots of debris that he could eat floating around. And it just went to work. It was like, yay, like big buffet um, time. Uh, and so it felt right at home out there, you know, in the floating carcass thing that was going on. Um, then a week later, Noah's, Noah waits, and he sends out a dove, which is a clean bird. Couldn't land anywhere, so it comes back. Uh, a week later, he sends out the dove again. This time it returns with a fresh olive leaf. And so Noah knew that somehow somewhere plants were growing again and fresh life had appeared on the earth. And guess what? Out of that... Um, a dove bearing an olive branch is a, is a symbol of peace around the world. From that. Um, a week later, he sends out the dove a third time. It doesn't return. So now at that point, Noah knows that um, it's all dry out there. But he doesn't go charging off the ark. He waits. For God. I think that's fascinating to me. Uh, he, he waits. Um, he built a window. So it's, at this point, he uncovers it so he can see. And um, at that point, they'd been there a solid year. He could see that the ground was dry, but he doesn't make a move. He's waiting on the Lord. He waits 26 days. That's a big deal now. 26 days. They're looking at it. They haven't been on ground for a long time. They're looking at it 26 days, waiting for the Lord. And, uh, and then in verse 15, when the Lord says go, he goes. Out they go. Uh, God's a rewarder of faith. Um, he, in uh, Hebrews 11... You remember that um, this, we call that the faith chapter. Noah's name is recorded in that chapter with the other heroes of faith. Uh, he had faith to walk with God when the people in the world were completely ignoring and disobeying God. He had the faith to God to work for him and witness for him for that 120-year period. Again, I don't think we can fathom building an ark in the middle of the desert when it never rained. Just, I mean, even try and think what that calling was like. Uh, and, you know, and so he does that. And then um, when the flood was over, he exercised faith again. He waits on God before he leaves the ark, and they, they wait for God. And, and uh, even though it looked like it was time, they wanted to wait for God, and then they obeyed uh, into, um, in response to God's word. And, you know, in, in Romans 10, remember, um, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We're supposed to be obedient to the word of God and move on it in our own lives. Then in verse 20, um, yeah, he, he, um, he worships God. And uh, as he steps out of the ark, he stands on the renewed earth, um, so filled with gratitude that his very first act is to um, offer a sacrifice to God. He builds an altar, and he offers some of the clean animals as sacrifices to the Lord. And then the last couple of verses, um, God sort of reaffirms, reaffirms the natural order things. After everything's been changed, he, he reestablishes these things. He doesn't, uh, he, it says in, that the Bible, that he doesn't speak these things to Noah, but um, it's sort of an affirmation. Uh, to himself because it says he speaks him in his own heart uh, I think it's his response to um, Noah's faithfulness you know after uh, you know that Noah was really the, a, a man who, who was trying to walk with God 
and, and uh, responds appropriately. Uh, and so um, it says the ground would be cursed no more. Now, that doesn't mean that he removed the... Um, you know, in, in back in Genesis 3, um, the, the ground had been cursed because of Adam's sin and also in, uh, um, because of Cain's sin in Genesis 4. So God's promise here doesn't invalidate those um, things um, because uh, um, they won't be removed until Jesus comes back the next time. Um, but in His grace, God um, decides not to add to man's affliction any longer. Um, he says there won't be any uh, universal floods like that again. And, um, and then, uh, fascinating verse 21. Because you, depending on how you look at verse 21, let me read it to you again, and then I want to talk about it for a minute, because I think it's pretty important. Because you can, you can read this in a couple of ways. Uh, this part of it. Never again will I curse the ground because of men, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. That's a pretty intense statement. And um, so there's a couple of ways to look at that. So um, does God say there, for the imagination or inclination of man's heart is evil? Or does he say, even though... Every inclination of heart is hard as evil because it's hard to tell in the in the text, and um, so so the Lord originally sent the flood because of the evil hearts of people. So to um, to not send another judgment would make it look like the flood was a mistake or a failure, or that God had given up on the human race or created in His own image. So if we if we translate for, then what we have is God saying the human heart is incurably wicked. The flood wiped out the transgressors, but it couldn't change hearts. Therefore, to have another judgment won't solve the problem. If we translate it even though, then what we have is God saying, yes, they deserve judgment because their hearts are wicked. And to persist in sin and not learn their lesson from this flood only shows how evil they are. But in grace, I will not send another flood or curse the ground. And I think there's probably some truth in both of those things. Um, but, the, you know, to, to remember this thing, what I want you to remember is that God spoke those words in response to Noah's sacrifice. And that sacrifice was a picture of the sacrifice of what Jesus would do. And, and on the basis of atonement that's accomplished by Jesus on the cross, which is what we're celebrating this week, God, in effect, is saying a price has been paid for the sins of the world, and um, I can withhold judgment. And so that's what he does for us because of what would happen. And the whole process there of the ark, and no, it's a type of Christ. And, and it's a picture of us and, and how we might be saved, that we can only be saved in Jesus and that God, by His grace, offers us this great salvation now because Jesus has made a way. Some people will still reject that, though, and um, that's sad but very true, which is why it's incumbent upon us to tell them the good news. That's why we are to spread the gospel, to be those who share the good news so that people can find that they have a way back to relationship with God, and uh, that's a forever relationship. All right, that's enough out of Genesis 8. Um, we're going to stop it there. If you're watching my video, thanks for doing that. And uh, come and visit when you can. But uh, we're going to finish here with prayer, and we'll call it an evening.